And so now, please put away your phones, if you still have them out, and let's now hear the reading of Scripture. Our Scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when every part is You need to grow up. Maybe you've had those words said to you. Maybe those words were said in the context of an argument, and if that happened, you probably did not feel encouraged. Uh, Those words were probably hostile uh, to you. But step back from that argument, from that conversation. I want to ask the question, in general, is it true? I mean this, in, in general, is it true that you need to mature? Is it true that you still have growth that you need to grow into? I think you do, and I know that I do. And that's the word that we find in this text that we're looking at today. That's what God is saying to you, except God is not hostile. God is not confronting you aggressively. God is saying with grace and love that you need to mature, you need to grow. Now, how does that growth happen, we should ask? In this culture, we're conditioned to think that the key to personal growth is education. So you need to get the right books. You need the right podcast. You need to focus on grades and goals and targets. And it's true to say that education does have uh, an important role. It, it does have an impact. But God's plan 
for change goes deeper. It goes deeper than your mind. It goes into the deep things of the heart. And the key, the key to God's plan for change in your life is the church. This is how God plans to change your heart and to grow you up into maturity. It's the church. Now, it's true also that many Christians feel uncertain about the church in these days right now. Uh, Many churches are not meeting for worship in person, ours included. People are beginning to wander. People are checking out this live stream and that live stream. That's easier than than ever to do before. Um, People are tuning into different services uh, or not even that. Uh, And instead it's wandering, sleeping in, and this type of thing. Um, People are discouraged and feeling distant from each other. And what's more, at the same time, it's now election season in the United States, and this is when the American church is, more than usual, is filled with political controversy. And you see bickering on social media and Christians hating Christians, and it's ugly, and we see it. Now, this is a problem. During the pandemic, during the election in in politics and so forth, this is a problem when people in the church lose what the church is all about. And that's why we are beginning our Fall Vision series this Sunday, focusing on the church. Because this is, this is crucial. We need to catch a fresh vision of what the church is all about and what's our place in the church as well. And we see in this text we're looking at today that a crucial purpose of the church is to grow you up into maturity. And that happens as you grow in unity. That's the key word in this text. United one body built up in love. So we're going to look at this unity from three angles in this text. We're going to see that the church is founded in unity. The church is led by servants of unity. And the church is built up with habits of unity. This is what God is saying. God is saying that you will not mature unless you see the foundation of our unity in the church. And you see it, you know it, you embrace it. And what's more, you will not mature unless you know and honor the role of servants of unity in the church, the leaders of the church. And you will not mature unless you practice the habits of unity and embrace them. That's the path to your maturity in the church. So let's look at the first point here. The church is founded in unity. Look with me at verse 4. Listen to the stress on unity in this passage. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You hear those repeated words, one, 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 all, 
all, all. It's unity. It's a glorious unity. And it's easy to miss. If you're someone who attends church, it's easy to miss. Because why? It's easy to think about your church as one consumer choice among all your other consumer choices. So you choose Android or Apple. You choose how you brew your coffee. Uh, And you choose this or that church. And that church had better have good coffee. It's easy to think that what holds us together as a local church is that we all like this product. And that is a consumer mindset. And I need to say that is an immature way to think about the church. Why? Because a consumer mindset is focused on self, my needs my interests, my preferences. But here's the truth. The church was not founded on self-interest. The church was founded on the gospel. And the gospel sets you free from selfishness. This is the gospel that God, the one God, God looked on the world He saw human beings living for themselves, divided and hostile, pursuing relentless self-interest, not just spiritually immature, spiritually dead, numb. And God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus Christ, the one Lord, and he did not come for himself. He came to seek and love his enemies and reconcile them to the Father. He lived that way. He loved and served his neighbor, and he gave himself and gave himself all the way to the cross. Like a sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, blood atonement for human rebellion and human evil and your rebellion, and your evil, and mine. So that when you believe in Jesus, the selfishness and evil of your heart is put on him. It is counted to his death, so that Jesus takes it away from you, and it is buried in the ground. That's how the gospel sets you free, because you realize in your heart, you realize all the way down that that another person has prioritized your good over his own, and he took action for your good at immense personal cost. That's the gospel. It's the foundation of the church, because the gospel doesn't just transform isolated people and leave them isolated. No, the gospel gathers people into communities. And you can find these communities all over the place, every country of the world. There are communities of people gripped by this love that is self-giving and sacrificial. And all of these communities together make up the one body 
the capital C church. Christ is the head of the church. Think about that. Human biology tells us that the head and the body share the same nervous system and the same blood circulation and the same endocrine system, the same immune system. When you believe in Jesus, what happens? It's not just new ideas that you think and believe. When you believe in Jesus, you are joined to the body. You are baptized into the body, the one body. And Jesus Christ is your head, so that his father is your father. And his hope, his faith, his spirit are pumping through your heart and your spirit. You are new. You're a new creation. And it's the same for your sister in the church and your brother in the church and the members of your small group. Do you realize what you share together with your brothers and sisters? You together, you have the very life of the Trinity coursing through you and the same faith and hope, the same calling you're called with. Do you realize what you share with your Christian brothers and sisters. You have a unity together that is deeper than any sports jersey, than any family kinship, any national pride. You have the deepest, the deepest kind of unity. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, that, that sounds really great. It sounds, it sounds good. It sounds deaf to the world, uh, because when you look in the world, do you see this kind of unity? Is it, is it obvious to see? And I think we can agree it's, uh, it's not obvious to see when we look around us, in the church cultures around us. There's tension here. There is, but it's a tension that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this passage, he's aware of it himself. He writes that the church is founded in this unity. He also writes, in verse 3 of this passage, he says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now this is a unity that needs to be, and we have responsibility here, it needs to be cherished and sought after and maintained and grown. And the fact that many Christians do not do that simply means that many Christians are immature. It doesn't mean that unity is not possible. It doesn't mean that unity doesn't exist. So how do we seek? How do we seek it? How do we maintain and and grow and live into this unity? And this brings me to my second point, which is that the church is led by the servants of unity. Now, I wrestled with this point. I thought to myself, should I really spend a whole section of this sermon talking about the role of church leadership? But I think it's given to us in this passage. And I think it matters that not just leaders of the church know what they're about, but I think it matters that all the members of the local church know, know too and know what their place is and what's the role of church leadership. 
It's here in verse 11. It says this, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. You hear what this is saying? This is saying that there's, there's different kinds of leaders in the church, but the goal of all leadership in the church is to build up the members into one body. And this is what every good coaching movie is about. This is Friday Night Lights. This is Coach Carter. This is Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. Denzel Washington plays Herman Boone. He's the head coach for the T.C. Williams High School football team. It's 1971, and the school is one of the first to integrate black students and white students into one student body, including the football team. The best part of the movie, in my opinion, the best part is the training camp. Because you see, you're watching a man meet the odds. Half the hometown hates him. Half his team disrespects him. Coaches on his coaching staff undermine him. And the team, of course, the team is divided. Segregation is over legally, but what you see is that segregation remains in the heart of people and of these players. And when they're not ignoring each other, they're fighting, like fist fights, fighting each other. And Coach Boone is tested again and again and again, and each time he's tested, he meets it. And like a football player, he channels all of his anger and his aggression into the goal to forge a team, a championship team. He never loses sight of the goal. He is focused. He's ambitious. That's what this text says is the leadership role in the church. The church has different kinds of leaders, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, uh, but they have to focus on the one goal, a united body. That was a tall order in Ephesus, in the original audience of this letter of Ephesians. We know that because the first century church was racially mixed. It was the weirdest thing anybody had ever seen. Jews and Christians worshiping together in, in one body. That was like a football team of black and white players in 1971 in Virginia. But it can happen with leadership. It can happen, and it doesn't matter how talented, how gifted the players are. Everything depends on leadership of that group. And this is what Jesus Christ gives to his church. In every age, Christ gives leaders to his church, leaders who, who, who forge a vision and meet the odds and lead the team into unity. Now, for application, 
on this point, I do not see this as a, a word of uh, correction or admonishment to Grace West. I don't. But I do want to ask this. I want to ask that you pray for pastoral leadership of Grace West. Pray that the Lord will give us courage to lead and to make plans and to seek the unity of Grace West. Pray that we might, we might meet the odds of this pandemic, of this season, with wisdom and with courage. We are working right now on new plans for this fall, and we're going to be communicating with you shortly about those. Uh, and we need your support for plans to move forward this fall. Now, there's also more to your role than supporting church leadership. You have an active part to play as well. And so that leads me to the third point, which is that the church is built up with habits of unity. To continue the sports analogy, when you join a team, you can only start where you're at. You might be slow and weak, but you're a part of the team. And so you get your eyes on the goal and you start where you're at. That's your baseline. Now, in this text, the goal is this, that we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's the baseline. So that we may no longer be children. Children. That's the starting point where every Christian starts in the church, children. And the Greek word could be translated infants, infant. Here's what this is saying. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you're, you're baptized into the church, you're joined to the one body, you have the life of God in you, Christ is your head, all these wonderful things, and you're an infant. You're not spiritually dead, you're alive, but you're an infant. Now, it's okay to be an infant. It is not okay to remain an infant and not grow. I happen to live with an infant. I, I've, I live in close proximity with uh, an infant these days. She was born in February, uh, and she's cute right now, but she needs to grow because the things she does now will not be cute five years from now. For example, she has no discernment. She tries to eat everything except for real food. And a spiritual infant is like that. A spiritual infant cannot tell good teaching from bad teaching. There is no discernment. What else? The infant who I live with has mood swings. She's happy and smiling at me one moment, and the next she's yelling and crying. A spiritual infant is like that. Emotions all over the place and no ability to endure hard things. What else? An infant does not know how to share. An infant doesn't know how to prioritize another person above themselves. A spiritual infant is like that. 
So how does an infant grow up? Here's how it happens. This is the formula. There are family relationships and leadership of parents and time. Those three things together. And it's the same thing in the church. There's relationships in the family of the church body. There's leadership of the church. And there's time over seasons and years together. And I think this especially happens practically in the church. This especially happens in small group. And I've experienced that myself. I began attending Grace Toronto in 2011. And I was about three years old in my faith at that time. Um, I joined a small group because that's what you do. That's just was kind of what everyone was, was doing. Honestly, I felt that being a part of a small group was kind of a distraction from the real ways that I wanted to grow in my faith. I, I wanted to read books. Uh, I wanted to listen to lots of sermons on the internet. I wanted to uh, do spiritual disciplines and get up early and read my Bible and pray. And I, th- I thought that's what really mattered. That's what, that's what the, the heart of it, of things were. Um, but I joined a small group. And when we prayed, week after week, we, we got in the habit to write down our prayers in a journal. And years later, I was flipping through this journal, and I noticed that my prayer request, week after week, my prayer request was for my spiritual disciplines, that they would be good and that I would get things out of them and, I would, and um, I was, that's what I was focused on. One of the other guys in my group, week after week, was praying for his roommate going through a hard time. And I realized this. I realized that I was in the group and I was focused on making myself better. Meanwhile, my friend knew how to prioritize other people, and that difference was reflected in how we prayed and the kind of things that we prayed for. Now I look back on that, and what's clear to me is that I could read every book on the shelf. I could read books about how to love my neighbor, and none of that would change the basic selfishness of my heart. I look back and see that, I, that, that God had brought me into the very thing that I most needed and didn't actually know that I needed. That was community, especially spending time with more mature Christians than myself. Because maturity is more, it's more than knowing information. It's growth of the heart. It's learning humility and learning how to be gentle with other people. It's learning how to navigate conflict and how to, how to be patient with a difficult person. It's learning how to prioritize other people above yourself and your own interests and needs. These are all the habits of unity. And the thing that underlies all of them is community. You get into community. You immerse yourself in these relationships. You belong to that community over seasons and years. And what grows, you find. What grows is your heart growing from immaturity, 
childhood into maturity. Here's the call to action. Grace West is soon to open small group signups. And we're going to be sharing a new vision for small groups this fall. Uh, This week, you're going to receive a video in your email box from Kiernan talking about that new vision. Signups are going to open next Sunday, September 13th. And I want to encourage you, join a small group. Get connected. Pursue relationships with each other in the church. And let's meet the odds of the season that we're in. Let's grow in unity together this year ahead. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for founding the church and for drawing us into it. We thank you, we praise you for the one body, the one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. We thank you for granting us, Lord, leaders in the church. We thank you for the leaders over our Christian life who have shaped us and sacrificed and poured into us, each one of us. We pray that we may give ourselves to the habits of unity, uh, that we may learn humility and gentleness. Father, the change that we desire, the change that we need is a thing that lies beyond us of ourselves. We ask your Spirit's strength to guide us and to lead us into these things in the fall season ahead. We thank you and praise you through Christ our Savior.